Challenging Paradigms in the Practice of Law with Mark Snyderman, Episode 175. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel, and I did an intro uh, recorded with my interview with Mark Snyderman, and that intro is great, and it's going to play after I'm done with this one. But I wanted to throw an extra intro in here because since I did that recording, we decided to open up free tickets, free limited passes to the Law Firm Growth Summit. You can sign up right now at lawfirmgrowthsummit.com and reserve your seat for no charge whatsoever. The event is coming up February 9th to the 11th. So if you're listening to this after the event, uh, you could definitely go there. See, we may make the, the recordings available for purchase after the event, uh, but you could definitely get on the wait list for the next event. Um, so if you're listening to this afterwards, I, I'm sorry uh, because you missed out on an amazing experience. But uh, for those of you who are listening to this before February 9th, we're about to jump into a conversation with Mark Snyderman and talk about one of the uh, possible alternative fee arrangements. And what, what the reason I'm excited about this conversation is because y- you need to, in today's day and age, as the legal industry is changing rapidly, you need to start to rethink the entire business model of your law firm from the ground up. You need to abandon the beliefs and the uh, the things that you've been taught about how a firm is supposed to be run, and you need to look at it from a brand new perspective and a brand new lens. And that's what we're going to be doing over the course of three days on the Law Firm Growth Summit. Uh, we're going to be addressing how you look at the entire business model differently, whether it's the marketing, the sales or intake process, the the way that you price your services and the way that you conduct business, the way that you collect payments, all of that uh, is going to be discussed. It's all on the table. Uh, so before I jump into the interview for uh, the introduction for the interview for Mark, I'm also going to take a moment and allow uh, I'm, you're, you're going to hear uh, me talk about uh, one of our sponsors, Law Funder. And I just want to point out that um, this concept of rethinking the business model goes hand in hand with what Law Funder is doing. They're rethinking the payment model for law firms. And I, I urge you to uh, pay attention to what I have to share about them because um, this, is, this is the key to unlocking your success, not just for this year, but for many years to come. Let me share an exciting tool that I recently came across that is a game changer for law firms that bill hourly or by the project, otherwise known as flat fee billing. The 2020 Legal Trends Report published by Clio rates how important various items are in a client choosing your firm. You may be surprised to know that the third most important decision factor for someone choosing a lawyer is the ability to pay with a payment plan. The challenge that law firm owners face is the risk of a client not making good on that payment plan. Most attorneys don't offer payment plans because of that. 
The problem is now, is now solved with LawFunder. LawFunder allows you to easily add a payment option to all your client invoices and retainer replenishment requests that does not require credit checks, applications, or any other complex process. The client's able to use their existing credit cards, allowing them to earn points and miles, access credit card specials on interest rates, and any other tools they use to manage their cash. When I saw this tool, I was blown away. Most importantly, it removes all the risk from the law firm and makes an easy and painless process to the payment process. So if you want to check off the box on one of the top factors in new client decisions, if you want to decrease your accounts receivable and get paid immediately, LawFunder is the solution. Go to lawfunder.com. That's lawfundar.com forward slash profit with law to learn more. Today, I have somebody special for you. Uh, it's, it's not common for us to have a um, owner of a law firm that we bring onto the show. Uh, not on purpose. Uh, I'd love to have more of those. Um, but for somebody to be willing to come on the show and share their journey sometimes uh, can take some uh, real vulnerability and um, and you need to be confident in whatever it is that you want to share. And there's not a lot of those going around. So when I have the opportunity to bring somebody on, especially somebody who's doing things differently, challenging the status quo, uh, I get really excited. And my paths crossed with Mark Snyderman. And after our brief little conversation to introduce ourselves to each other, I, I realized this is, this is somebody I definitely want to bring on the show um, because he's doing something that a lot of people scratch their heads and wonder, is that possible? Is it possible to run a law firm this way, to have this kind of business model? And Mark is demonstrating that indeed, yes, it is. And we're going to go into detail for, the, for you. Uh, about that today. So before I go anywhere, let me just give you the official bio. Mark Snyderman is the founder of the Snyderman Law Group, and he's a passionate lawyer, entrepreneur, and educator that is committed to helping small and mid-sized businesses. He believes that practice of law needs to be disrupted to bring about necessary change. He spent his career in-house and in business operations and brings those elements together into his bargaining practice that is a little over four years old and focuses solely on the SMB market using a subscription model. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Moshe. I really appreciate being here. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting a bit today. Uh, as, we, as we talked about when we first, uh, when we first spoke maybe a few weeks ago, uh, it was really you know, all about uh, my journey and, you know, sort of trying to do things a little differently. And uh, it really lined up a lot with what you've been saying, you know, in, in your, uh, in your podcast. So I'm excited to talk about it. Awesome. So Mark, I like to start with who the heck are you? You know, <laughs> that people are listening and, and, you know, they never heard of you before. So uh, tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, maybe how'd you get into law or how'd you end up starting your law, law, law firm? Um, or even, you know, what made you decide to challenge the status quo? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, in order to do that, I'm going to have to kind of give, you know, the sort of the, the arc of the, of my career and it'll, 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 it should help to try to figure out how I got to where I am today. Uh, you know, came out of law school at Rutgers in New Jersey as a, uh, you know, wanted to be a corporate and securities guy up in Manhattan, got a, got my dream job as a corporate and securities lawyer in Midtown, uh, you know, worked like a dog in a, in a 30, 40 person Midtown firm, 
but really enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed the work uh, and had some great partners that taught me, you know, how to, how to be a good lawyer. Uh, but, you know, by 13, 14 months into it, you know, you're already looking for a new job. Uh, and we had a nightly scramble between all the associates. So, you're, you know, you're going back to before the Internet days. Uh, so you, the only way to find jobs was the New York Law Journal had classifieds in the back of it. So we would, uh, we would steal, there was one copy in the whole office and you had to figure out which partner left it in their office. And then we'd all run around and, and, uh, and copy them. We'd go into the, into the room and copy them and everybody would run back to their offices and spend the next few hours looking for a job. Uh, I got really lucky at about 18 months in uh, and got pulled into one of the cable companies when they were going public, which you know seemed like a dream job to get, to get an IPO opportunity, stock options, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, the stock really never took off, but the it was a great career opportunity for me. I mean, I did some amazing work, uh, bond deals, M&A work, you know, just really cut my teeth in a lot of different pieces. And uh, what I really learned at that point was I was really good at technology and actually translating tech. Uh, and I became sort of the person that was translating all the work that the engineers were doing into the disclosure documents and into contracts. And that was kind of my forte. And I took that, and when I left there, after about five or six years, I went to a privately held company uh, that was doing mostly engineering and IT work for the US government, uh, primarily Department of Defense work. Mm -hmm. And what I did at that point was, uh, I started to build out you know, sort of the whole risk management profile of the company. And you know, I became the general counsel, and it was a small company, about 75 employees. Uh, but I became so entwined in, in operations that they named me chief operating officer. Uh, and so I, I ran the company for the next 10 years, uh, you know, holding many hats. I mean, we were up to about 300 employees when I left. Uh, so we did some acquisition work. We did a lot of different things through it. Uh, and when I left, it was really just a, a difference of opinion with the owners on the future of the company and where they wanted to go. And it was kind of time for me to move on and do something different. And it was at that time, so this is, uh, you know, 2016, I'm looking at, at the legal market and saying, well, you know, I could start a law firm. Uh, I know that I can pull in some clients pretty quickly. And I'd managed outside lawyers for most of my career at this point. I hadn't been in-house now for, I guess it was almost 20 years at that point. And I say to myself, this is broken. Like, how am I going to go work? How, how am I going to support small and mid-sized businesses with the model that exists? It just doesn't make any sense. Right. It, it doesn't make sense for somebody to even hire an attorney when they have no idea what anything's going to cost. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like, like, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, because you know, now I have I an operational new... hat. Yeah. So I have the operational side and the, and the P&L, you know, responsibility and understand that I'm sitting there going, who's going to hire me and pay me, you know, $700 an hour. I got an offer from one of the bigger firms uh, to join them. And they, they were, I said, well, what are you going to bill me out at? And they said, they're going to bill me out at $895 an hour based on my resume. I said, who am I going to talk to for $900 an hour? Like, you want me to only talk to Fortune 500 companies? That's not interesting to me. We're not going to effectuate any change in that company. You know, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too operational and too far down in the weeds. And I want to help. And, you know, so I started to think about one of the things. And I always tell this story, like when I was, when I was a, you know, junior, you know, associate in that law firm in Manhattan, you know, there wasn't a meeting that our clients went to that they didn't take us with them. You know, you were always jumping on, jumping on the subway and going somewhere, you know, if, and we had all fashion clients, we were in the garment district. So, you know, if Jill Stewart was going to a meeting 
you know, she was calling us and saying, Hey, can you, can you go come down here? We're, we're going to look at this space. We want to talk to the landlord. You know, nobody does that now. And you say to yourself, well, I kept saying, well, why aren't they bringing attorneys anymore? Why are attorneys like, be, they're not even on the sideline. They're in the back. They're behind the backstop. They're right. not in the game at all. Right. Why are they so far gone? I said, well, it's, it can't be because they don't know that they don't know what they do. They don't know the same thing. We don't know any more than the attorneys do 30 years ago. It's money. It all comes down to money. So you have to change the game. So that's kind of yeah. where the, the entire firm was born out of that concept. And when I started to look at the model, I said, well, the only way to do it is to think about it like a startup. You know, you got to keep your overhead completely down to, down to minimal. Uh, and you got to run, you got to build processes and, and use tech to your advantage and create efficiencies that don't exist in the modern law firm. Well, and, and I use the term modern in a, in a very loose way. Because the modern right. law firm is the same law firm that's existed for a hundred years. Yeah. So somebody recently told me 2025 came five years early for the legal industry this year. <laughs> uh, and I love that line. And I, I forgot, I forgot who it was. I, you know, if you're listening to the show, I apologize that I'm not actually giving you credit for, for that <laughs> line, but I've been repeating it since our conversation. Um, but it's, you know, you're right in, in that, uh, change has to happen. It's happening whether you like it or not, because the consumer is changing, right? Yeah. How we shop for what we're buying is changing. Our buying habits are changing. The way that we research something is changing. Um, and the way that, that businesses can stay relevant and be able to meet the needs of the consumer is by harnessing the powers of the technology available to us. So if you're a, a, a law firm that is not willing to harness that that technological power and therefore your overhead is higher it takes you longer to do things and you can't go into a different business model because operationally you're not set up for that you're already at a disadvantage when the consumer wants something different than what you're offering and i think that's the biggest um, hurdle that a lot of attorneys have is is trying to navigate how is this going to be a business model that works for me? And that's why I'm excited to have this conversation to you because I want to dive into that. Um, one of, and, and we'll talk about what your business model is in a moment. But one of the first things that somebody who's typically billing by the hour, who's now contemplating whether they should do flat fee billing or mm -hmm. subscription services, one of the first questions they have is, well, how am I going to get my hourly rate with this new model? And there's so many arguments to that, but I want to just tee up a couple of them. Um, first of all, the Clio Trends Report makes a, a massive case. The, the a Clio Legal Trends Report for 2020 that they just released um, goes through and, and identifies that in a client making a decision of who to hire as an attorney, whether they have an office or what their office looks like is dead last in their decision-making process. Absolutely. And if you eliminate the office, you save $10,000 a year per attorney in a law yeah. firm. Yeah. So, absolutely. and that's, that's the number they came up with. I actually think that that's low. I think depending on, on the area it could be a lot higher. I mean, I'm in the, the New York area. There's no question that in this area, it's, it's more like probably $25,000 per attorney um, for your office space. So you need to, you need to start there. You need to start challenging the paradigms of, of how, do, how do I operate and is an office necessary in 
2020 opened up our eyes to the fact that, hey, you could conduct business without an office. Absolutely. You know, it's be- a beautiful thing that the Regis and the, you know, the shared office spaces that are out there. Um, that is a beautiful thing because, yes, you might need a place to meet, right? You might need a conference room. So pay for a membership that costs you a couple hundred dollars a month so that you have access to a conference room when you need it. Uh, rather than needing to pay thousands and thousands of dollars a month so you have a space where everybody can come and be less productive than they are at home or in a remote environment because they're talking to each other instead of doing their work. Yeah, I think you it's know, so, so true. I mean, that was when, when I first started the firm, that was really what I started with was, you know, uh, I'll just use co-working space. I don't need, you know, I don't need this. Uh, and I ended, up, I ended up getting one small office uh, in the suburbs uh, you know, New Jersey still has that requirement that you need a permanent office, mm-hmm. that you need an actual fixed permanent office. And my, my, I can't zone my house commercial. So right. uh, I did need an office, but I could have subletted space, but I found some great space uh, that's really easy to get to and it's really inexpensive. But for Philadelphia, I use a WeWork and that WeWork gives me the ability to be in New York and DC, wherever I'm traveling. Well, when I used to travel, uh, pre-pandemic, you know, I, I right. always had an office and we work in New York is amazing, right? There's a, we work every four blocks, right? Yeah. If not less, right. It, yeah. it, I've, I've met so many clients in WeWorks in, in Manhattan. You know, I personally run my, my business from my, from my house. And yeah. uh, my, my big vision is that eventually I might have some office space in my house for some employee, key employees that I want to have local, uh, you know, within arm's reach. But uh, generally, we you know we everything is is virtual, and and starting with a virtual business has allowed me to think differently about my workforce. Right, I have two people in the Philippines working for me. I've got somebody in Honduras. I've got somebody in Colombia. You know, these are ta- what talented people where they're very eager to work and they're very happy to be coming to work for me. And it's cost me a fraction of what it would cost me to hire somebody local. And I'm not, you know, yet people get angry about stealing jobs from America and things like that, but it's not what you it gotta is. be. You gotta be realistic with what, you know, where you are in your business growth and what makes sense for you um, and, and use the resources that are available to you. You know, so many people are like, I really need help. And I know I need help. And I know that it's stunting my growth but they're not willing to look at these alternative places yeah. for, you know, for staffing. And when we start to, you know, as we're going through this conversation, it's, you know, these are the exact things that we're covering at the Law Firm Growth Summit. And I don't know when this is getting um, uh, recorded, if this is before, uh, you know, I know when it's getting recorded. I don't know when it's getting released. So right. I don't know if it's gonna be before or after we run the event, but we're, we're, we're covering these exact issues at the Law Firm Growth Summit because I, I don't think it's just a pricing model. I don't think it's just how do I collect you know, income. How do I find oh, it's definitely the expense side of things? Absolutely. It's absolutely. It's the overhead is, yeah. is what really kills businesses. As a matter of fact, um, Mark, I'll tell you the, how I got into helping lawyers in the first place was I got a, a, a client that was a law firm in Manhattan um, through Profit First. So I'm a Profit First professional. I don't know if you've read the book um, by Mike Michalowicz, uh, Profit First, but it's basically, it's a cash management system. And to dumb it down, it's basically grandma's envelope system for budgeting for businesses mm-hmm. by using multiple bank accounts for different purposes. So essentially you have a revenue account where all the money comes in and then you split it off into operating expenses, owners pay, profit and tax. Those are okay. the main the main ones. Um, because the behavior of a business owner is I wake up in the morning, I check my bank account. I'm not logging into QuickBooks to figure out how I'm doing, right? right? So um, we instead of changing the behavior, we just change the 
the size of the of the plate that you're looking at. And you know, that's essentially the idea of that. So I I got uh, behind his message and I really liked the system and I thought that it could be impactful to help business owners. So I got uh, behind that and in, in, in my accounting practice to become a profit first professional through profit first professional headquarters. They got some leads. I got a lead that was a law firm in Manhattan, um, met with the, with the owner, ended up getting them as a client. They referred me to another uh, law firm mm-hmm. who referred me to another law firm who referred me to another law firm. Before I knew it, I had five law firms as clients. And you know what the common denominator between these firms was? beautiful offices, all of them in New York City, um, nice staff, business coming through the door. Everybody's busy, right? Yeah. Yet the owner's transferring personal funds to cover every payroll. Right. That's the, you know, they're, they're the money moving game to, tr- to cover payroll. How, how is this happening? And in no other industry is a business operating this way. Well, I mean, so, a lot of it goes to the, to the heart of uh, the problem with law firms, right? Law firms are run by lawyers. And not every lawyer is a good business person. And the cream of the crop that runs the law firm that becomes the managing partner is really because they were a great lawyer or they were a great rainmaker, not because they were a great businessman or businesswoman. Right. And, and since you sat in the COO role, right. And you, you wore those hats and you had to make operational decisions. You get it. You understand. And that's why I think you started your law firm in 2016. And now four years later, your law firm is thriving. You're doing well uh, because you walked into this with that understanding. And that's the job that I have in front of me is to educate law firm owners on the full gamut of running a business. It's not just how I bring a client. It's not just how do I, you know, how do I, how, how do I uh, expand my staff? It's, it's the entire picture where you're taking into, into, into consideration the expense side. You know, when you're a, yeah. solo, a solo law firm, uh, you know, it's just you, you should be taking home 50% or more of the money you're bringing in. If you're, if you're not doing that, your business model is already broken before you yeah. even bring on staff. And right. you need to look at that and figure out like, where is this money going? Where am I overspending? What, you know, what am I spending on that I shouldn't be spending on? And that's where you need to start challenging the, the paradigms of the, the practice that you're used to, that you came right. from, you know, your upbringing in law um, and start looking at crazy things like your office space, your, you know, how many different hundreds of pieces of technology you've decided to implement and how many of them you're actually using, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, there, you know, we, we, I, 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 um, I look at tech, tech is a very valuable tool, but you sign up for each little thing as $10, $20, $50 a month. And each time you sign up for it, it's like no big deal. Okay. What's another 10 bucks. This is going to be, make, make me more efficient. This is going to be, you know, before you knew it, it's like death by a thousand cuts Oh yeah. because you get a hundred of those. And all of a sudden you're at a $5,000 a month technology expense that really, if you look carefully, you don't only, yeah, you're not even using of most of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. a, I think we all go through that even, you know, I've definitely gone through it myself, you know, where, you know, I'll just keep saying, Oh, that looks like a, that's a great tool, you know, because I am a techie. I'll, I'll, I'll automatically be like, Oh, I could use, definitely use that tool. That's a great tool. And I'll use it for, I'll, I'll buy it and I'll use it and I'll start. And then all of a sudden I'll stop using it. And then I realized, you know, like three months down the line, I'm like, Oh no, I I'm now I'm paying for this thing and I don't even use it. So what do I do with it? Can I cancel it? Oh, I signed a year long. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Right. Right. Like, sometimes I think, you know, lawyers were the, we're the worst, right? Cause we, like we tell every, we do everything for everybody else. I mean, it's the, you know, the shoe cobbler whose shoes are, uh, 
are, aren't, aren't, uh, aren't very nice. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, I tell my clients, don't try to save the money on the annual, you know, get yeah. the monthly for the first year you use a product. Uh, it's, it's, a, that's a great, that's, no, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great piece of advice. Like it's, it's that, that 15% savings is not going to save you anything because you're, you're 90% of the time, you're probably bailing on that piece of software anyway. Yep, exactly. So, so you know, do, do, the, do the monthly, uh, you know, make sure that you're really using it. You don't have to wait a whole year. You could be six months into it. Yeah. At that point, you know, this is an integral piece of my company or not. And then you can go to the annual, get the savings. But uh, so many times you buy the annual and you realize, you know, three months into it, I'm not, I'm not using this. That was money down the drain. And now you've yeah. spent way more than the amount you would have saved, you know, um, for the, for, you know, for the, the, On the annual subscription, like you, said, you know, I, I think, um, one other thing that I think is, is, you know, is key here is, you know, the, is, is looking at, you know, and, and this doesn't really affect me is it, it does affect me because the, the entire market has gotten crazy because of the salaries that were paid to, you know, the, the way the creep has gone on first year salaries is just, it's mind blowing to me. You know, when I got out of law school, you know, I mean, it was 97. So it's a long time ago at this point, you know, but my first job in Manhattan you know, as a corporate and securities attorney in Midtown Manhattan, you know, 35 attorney firm was $42,000, right? Mm -hmm. Which sounds like nothing now, right? Like right. that's, that's like, there's no way you could take a job for $42,000. You know, the, these, these kids are coming out getting paid 150 to $175,000 in the big firms, which means the smaller firms have to up their, up those numbers up into the upper 60s, 70s, 80s. And what is the real value of that person? Their value right, is their long-term, they're a long-term value for you. And if but you have to invest around. a lot in them, they don't know how to do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that small firms should be hiring people straight out of school, honestly. Like I, right. I, I think that that would be a poor decision um, you know, the, the difference in pay differential between somebody who's got experience and somebody who doesn't is not huge. So if you are making the decision to hire a full, a full-time attorney, and there's so many alternatives to that too. Um, but if you're making the decision to do that, you should be looking at somebody with, you know, three, four or five yeah. years of experience minimum, because you want to train them on your processes you want you want to train them on how you want them to treat your clients you don't want to have to be busy training them on how to be a lawyer no uh, i, I agree with that the problem is, is that the the numbers of like their salary requirements started out too high right. so you know when you try to break them you know for the small and mid-sized firms when they're trying to bring you know lateral associates over you know you're almost going to have to cut them right and you can cut them and incentivize them with you know, profit from the company or bring in work and that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. you're looking for people that are more entrepreneurial. Right. Exactly. Because you're not, you're not looking to take somebody away from, from the big law firm. That's no. not the person that's going to be working for you. Right. Um, there's a million reasons why somebody would leave their job. And you, and one of the biggest things for you to do is to, is to walk into the, the hiring conversation, having this belief that you have to, meet where they were very often somebody is leaving because of other reasons yeah think about why you started a law firm right most people leave their job because they want to do something else with their life they yeah, want to it, they it, want to be it's in a typically not money it's typically right. not money because if exactly. it's just money 
they're going to come to you and, you know, and you can, you can make that work. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I ran, I, like I said, I ran, you know, we had 300 employees. I hired and fired, you know, hundreds of people in my, you know, in my day. Uh, and, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly when people are leaving, they're usually leaving because of their manager. <laughs> that's, that's usually the number one reason. Uh, number two is, you know, they, they found something, they just, they just want to do something totally different. But if they're going to a lateral job, it's typically management and culture. It's not money. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's, it's very important to, to remember that because you don't, have to, you don't have to meet those salary requirements if you check the other boxes. And that's why it's really important for you to be clear on what's important for you and the candidate yeah. you're looking for. And then to ask them in the interview process what's important to them so that you're not barking up the wrong tree, right? You don't want to be worried about how am I going to get them over this threshold, you know, to the 100,000, 150,000 mark when... They don't care if you pay them 60,000, as long as you save them and from being able to, from needing to walk into that law firm that they're working at right now at another right. day. Um, so it, there's, there are, here's the message, right? There are people out there that are the right fit for you at the right budget. Yeah. And you just have to figure out how to find them. Right. And that's the, the, that's the, the task of the business owner of the law firm owner, rather than trying to compete or, or match or take away from somebody else. Cause that's not what, that's not what we're doing. Um, I want to circle back to the beginning because I started talking about it and, and we veered away from it. And I want to get to the crux of the, of the business model sure. um, that you run. Cause we focused a lot on the expense side, which is really, really valuable and impactful. Um, but one of the things that I've been challenging here on the podcast for a long time is, Hey, you, you really need to go to some sort of value-based flat fee, uh, or subscription pricing or subscription model. Uh, and one of the first pushbacks that I get from attorneys is just not being able to understand or wrap their head around how they would structure this in a way that they would still be getting their hourly rate. And I want to make one or two points, and then I want to turn the table over to you. And I want mm -hmm. you to share what you're doing in your firm and how you've navigated, um, you know, figuring out how to price your services. Right. So um, one point that I want to make is that in the Clio Legal Trends Report, and I refer to this report because it's very thorough, it's well done. Um, I don't have the, the manpower or the staff to do that kind of research. Mm -hmm. So it's a, great, it's a great tool to use to really get an insight into what's going on in the, in the, the, the legal industry, at least in the small and medium-sized uh, firm space. So the legal, the legal trends report that Clio did, um, what they did was is they went and they asked... Um, people, what is the most important factor in your decision to hire a law firm? Yeah. And the most important things that they came up with was being able to um, know what, what my services are going to cost, being able to um, have a payment plan, and being able to, um, um, and, and, not, and not being, um, and not being open-ended in that financial conversation. I don't have the, the, the report in front of me, so I'm not using the right terminologies, but that's uh, essentially I, I the gist it. <laughs> of, of it, right? Yeah. That's essentially the gist of it. Um, and uh, folks, I'm going to, my, my team will link in the show notes to, I did an episode where I went through the Clio Trends Report and I broke down every single important piece in it. Um, it's a little bit over an hour long, but I've gone through everything in there. So mm -hmm. 
um, definitely go back, listen to that episode if you're just joining me now. Um, and if this is the first time listening to the podcast and you're enjoying this conversation, make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you get notified every time we release a new episode, which is twice a week. Little uh, little um, adver- advertisement for myself there. there so um, Mark, take, take us on this journey, you know, um, lay the groundwork. What how how do you price your services? How do you what do you do for your for your clients as far as the, that financial arrangement? Mm-hmm. And how did you come up with that and 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 figure out how to make it so that it is um, it is profitable for you? Sure. So you know one of the things I did was you know the first thing I did was say okay what do I think you know is the right price in the market for my hourly rate? And I started with an hourly rate because you got to have a basis for what you're doing. And, you know, I said, you know, if I'm a smaller mid-sized business and I can get a hold of, you know, Mark Snyderman with his resume and his background and what he has, you know, if he said to me, his rate's three ninety-five an hour, I would say still sounds like a lot of money, but compared to other attorneys, that sounds pretty cheap. Uh, and, you know, it sounds like I'm going to get a lot of value. So I started with that. And then I said to myself, well, I'm not going to charge an hourly rate because I don't like hourly rates because it's too open-ended and for every reason you just gave out of the Clio report. And I said, okay, I want to do outside general counsel services, right? Because I'm a general counsel. It's really what I am uh, more than I'm, I'm not your standard, you know, M&A, you know, lawyer that's going to write a bunch of agreements and do it. I'm not a deal guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a deal guy from a top level, but I'm not a deal guy at that level, Right. So I'm not the technical attorney. I'm the, you know, the strategy and, you know, you know, put the whole thing together. So, and I know your risk and I can help you figure out your whole company and infrastructure and all those kind of pieces, which is what a general counsel does in a company. So if I take all that and I wrap it all around and I say, okay, well, there's HR, there's insurance, there's risk management, there's corporate strategy, there's outside council management, intellectual property, all the different pieces that go into being a GC. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to wrap all those services in the one, in the one ball. And I know from working with enough companies and, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it was kind of a crapshoot when I started out four years ago to know that I was going to be okay uh, in terms of numbers I was putting on certain companies. Uh, but, I, you know, I knew the size of the company and I had grown from, you know, I had been in a company that was 70 employees all the way to 300. So it gives me a good range of understanding of how much work does it take at each level to be the GC. Cause I was also, cause I was, remember I was GC and COO. So right. I knew how much it took me to be the GC. And I know at what point I needed to hire an associate, right? I ended up hiring a deputy general counsel at one point because I, all of a sudden the GC work was too much for me to be COO and GC. So I had to hire somebody. Right. So I kind of got a good feel for what it took on an hourly basis every week to run that business as the, on the legal side. And then I just translated it. Right. And I said, okay, if a company is this size, it's probably going to need about this and there's what they can afford. And I put the price into the market and you know, the, the, can you get your, your full hourly rate question is a read is honestly, you have to throw it out the window. Right. It doesn't it's really matter. Question. It doesn't yeah. matter, right? I don't care if I get $395 an hour from these clients. I probably don't, but it doesn't matter because my expenses are lower and I have recurring revenue, right? I have, uh, these clients aren't, you know, 
as long as I continue to do what I do and I believe in myself and I believe in my associate and what we do for our, for our clients, they don't want to leave us, you know, in four years, they haven't left us. And, you know, the, the growth is that you can keep adding those monthly revenues in and you know, your revenue. So from a single, from a sole proprietor, you know, facet, it makes my life a whole lot easier because I know what my income is each week, each month makes my expenses. I know what I have to do with my expenses and I can control my budget. And from the other side, they're saying, okay, I know my business is, you know, I'm only paying 2000, 5,000, whatever it is a month. And they know what that expense is and it's great. And I don't really care if I go over in a month, it doesn't mean anything to me. If I gave them quote unquote, too much service, there's no such thing. Right. My value is, is that I'm part of their company and I'm helping them grow. And if I'm helping them grow, they're going to stay with me and I get to grow with them. And right. the deal is always that every three months we kind of talk about where are we at, you know, and in the four and a half years now, I haven't taken, I've never increased anyone. I've only decreased. You know, I've basically, you know, and I, that I, don't gives think, you, I don't think that it would be a bad thing if you increase somebody. I mean, if the company's growing and therefore their demand, no, yeah, I think there, there, yeah, there was a few that were on pace that this year would have been the year that they probably would have increased, but this has been a, you know, a, a sideways years for most people. Right. So, right. you know, and even if it isn't a sideways year, you know, it, it's just bad. It's bad business to increase people in, in, in this environment. Um, yeah, so I, you know, Mark, I, there's so many different places to go with this, and, yeah. I, and I, I, I love the model, and I want to actually ask you to to give us a specific example. But before I do that, there's one other point from this Clio tre Legal Trends report that I want to make, and that is, in uh, one of the things that they show is is that um, firms who are billing hourly tend to do discounting for their clients. Right. And this happens be even before the client sees the bill, right? So what, what happened, typical practice is that at the end of the month or whenever the cycle of billing is, um, everyone has to do their billing and they start to look at the hours that they're sending out to each oh, client. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this makes sense that it took this long. This doesn't make sense. It took this long. And they start shaving that down before it even goes out. Then it goes out to the client and the client calls back screaming and saying, oh my gosh, how did you manage to spend 30 hours and you know, blah, 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 you know, oh, okay, well, let's, we're going to, we're going to take this off. We'll discount the, you know, we'll lower, lower these hours. We'll do 20, before you know it, you took 25% off in the pre-process. Then you took 25% off in the invoice process. And when you look at it and you're billing, you know, $600 an hour, yeah. you're, you may only be collecting $300 an hour. And if you exactly. look at collections, Right. Uh, and because not everything gets collected. Right. So uh, and that's another thing is like uh, firm owners are horrible about retainer replenishments and things like that. So they allow their clients to go over and then all of a sudden they wonder, how come I'm stuck with an accounts receivable that doesn't get paid? Um, and now you're looking at $200 an hour, $300 an hour for work that you're you think you're billing at $600 an hour. Yeah. So the reality is, is that this hourly rate that you're that you think you're getting is fictitious anyway. It's mm -hmm. something that you have in your mind. But the reality is, is if you look at the time you're spending and the revenue coming in, that's not your hourly rate. Your hourly rate is how much revenue am I bringing in and how much time am I putting into my company? Right. And that's your hourly rate. And if you do that math, you'll be shocked to know that, hey, I, I'm not billing $800 an hour. I'm probably at 75 bucks an hour, you know, right. like, it's no, just it's true. <laughs> and so when you start to approach it from there and recognize that that's, it's not about the hours, 
It's about the value I'm providing and my capacity to be able to serve this quantity of clients. And it evens out, you know, one client, like in your example, you know, one client can have more needs in a certain month, but other clients will have less needs. It'll all balance itself out. Sure. You can have a busy month where everybody needs everything and that can happen. But the reality is, is that when you're in a subscription type model, like you're describing, it evens itself out. But what's even more important is when you're in that model, you can focus on customer service rather Mm -hmm. than focusing on how am I going to eke every hour out of this client that I can, which puts you at odds with the client. And you do conflict checks before you start working with a client. The biggest conflict is the attorney and client when they're in an hourly, you know, billing model, because if you want to bill more, they want you to bill less. Right. It it totally creates the the wrong, uh, you know, paradigm for the, the client. It's, it's not, it's not in their favor in any way. And you know, and they, 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 it creates a distrust that, you know, they're going to, that they look at these invoices and they say, well, how did it take so long? They don't understand what the work is and they don't understand what the work is because you didn't explain the work to them. Right. Because that's not the model. The model is, you know, the attorneys are, you know, the, you know, brought down from on high and, you know, they have the, this, this Holy grail law degree uh, and they pass the bar exam. So they must know something and we'll continue to write in Latin and, you know, English that makes no sense to anyone except lawyers uh, with heretofores and why nots and whatever else you want to throw into them because the, it's a fear, right? It's been a fear for, you know, a hundred years in the profession that, oh my goodness, people are going to figure out that it really is just plain English and anyone can really figure out how to do this. Look, it's not yeah, rocket I, science, it's law. And I, and I think that, <laughs> I think that the reality is, is that, um, and, and, and particularly transactional law, um, it, you know, is, is, is susceptible, susceptible to this, but the reality is, is that technology is going to take over a lot of what lawyers do. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to become automated. It's going to become, I mean, just look at something like, like legal zoom, you know, where they, they built a TurboTax type, you know, environment for you to get your legal entity formed and typically lawyers and accountants have been charging lots of money for that over the, you know, over, over the years, but why should somebody be paying that? There's no reason for it. They don't need, they don't need legal advice. They might need legal advice to understand what is the right entity structure for me if their situation is complex. So great. Give them that advice and then send them to LegalZoom to get it formed. Why, you know, why do you think that you need to be doing that? Um, You know, one of the, the beautiful things of the subscription model and this, you know, customer service delivery being the focus is that you don't have to, the attorney doesn't have to do everything. Yep. You can bring on staff and train them to do a lot of the pieces that are, that don't require you. Mm-hmm. And when, and therefore you can, you know, going back to the conversation of how expensive attorneys might be because of where the industry is going, guess what? Attorneys don't have to be doing 90% of the work in your firm yeah. from, from drafting to conversation with clients, you know, like they're really, if you start to take a step back and look at it, it's kind of like, if you look at the the medical profession, right? All of a sudden there's this massive thing of PAs and NPs, right? Physician assistants and nurse practitioners that are replacing doctors. And, and people are like, you know, at least in the medical profession, the doctors are like, well, you know, it's terrible for us. It's infringing on, on, you know, on our profession and our ability to be able to, to, to run a business. But 
it's from the consumer perspective, it's a beautiful thing because it's bringing down the cost of getting, getting medical services. And after, at, when all is said and done, well, a nurse practitioner is, is the top, but yeah. a PA reports to a doctor. So there's a doctor overseeing There's a doctor that. overseeing it. And exactly. So you're in a law firm. You're the lawyer that's overseeing the work. You don't have to have your hands on everything. You just need to approve everything, right? Right. So if you start to look at it from that perspective and you get away, if you're in the hourly model, then it doesn't work because if you can't bill your time and yeah, somebody else's your, time, your, your, have your, entire, your entire model falls apart. Exactly. They have to have credentials to be yeah. able to build them out. Right. Um, and the reality is, is that that that's not necessary. So if you I, I feel like the only way you can think about these alternative pricing models is if you can understand how you would change operationally yeah. on the expenses side to be able to deliver customer service in a different way than you, you're used to, because it doesn't work if you keep everything top heavy. Oh, yeah, that, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And that's and, where and everybody can't yeah. wrap their mind around it. Right. How do I how do I how do I bill? You know, I, I'd have to I'd have to bill a flat fee of forty thousand dollars for a divorce up front in order to be able to, to make this model work. No, you can build, you know, five thousand dollars for an uncontested divorce and not do anything and have a piece of software where yeah. the client enters all the pieces, all the data inputs create and draft the documentation and you spend 20 minutes reviewing it and you made five grand. And yeah. that's, you know, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. Let me share an exciting tool that I recently came across that is a game changer for law firms that bill hourly or by the project, otherwise known as flat fee billing. The 2020 Legal Trends Report published by Clio rates how important various items are in a client choosing your firm. You may be surprised to know that the third most important decision factor for someone choosing a lawyer is the ability to pay with a payment plan. The challenge that law firm owners face is the risk of a client not making good on that payment plan. Most attorneys don't offer payment plans because of that. The problem is now, is now solved with LawFunder. LawFunder allows you to easily add a payment option to all your client invoices and retainer replenishment requests. That does not require credit checks, applications, or any other complex process. The client's able to use their existing credit cards, allowing them to earn points and miles, access credit card specials on interest rates, and any other tools they use to manage their cash. When I saw this tool, I was blown away. Most importantly, it removes all the risk from the law firm and makes an easy and painless process to the payment process. So if you want to check off the box on one of the top factors in new client decisions, if you want to decrease your accounts receivable and get paid immediately, LawFunder is the solution. Go to lawfunder.com. That's lawfundar.com forward slash profit with law to learn more. But no, but I, no, but that is the point. Like th that yeah. is exactly the point is, you know, the, there is, you know, the technology will eat away at, you know, a specific part of the part of the part of law firms. Right. I mean, that's, you know, legal zoom is one thing, but you know, these AI tools that are being built and coming out, they're going to eat, they're going to eat the entire bottom of the bottom of the practice up and they should, and they should, right. Exactly. Give people the, the ability, look, you know, people ask me, you know, and this is, you know, for a lawyer is really bad, right. People, but people will ask me like, you know, Hey, I need, I need to do a, a simple will. And I'm like, well, I don't do wills. I don't, I don't, I don't play in wills and estates, but look, you know, you can go to, it used to be called Legacy Writer. I think they changed their name. You know, you can go there. And if you have a simple will with, 
you know, and I suggest you talk to somebody that does wills, uh, but you, you really don't need to pay them. <laughs> like you can go to legacy writer. It's going to be a solid will for, or a living will for what you need. You know, you don't have a huge estate. <laughs> right. And I even, I, you know, I, I even think that, that lawyers who do estates and trusts have, you know, themselves are unclear about who do I serve, right? Right. It, if you're trying to serve somebody who could get a will done for 400 bucks online and doesn't really need you, then it's, you're it's, probably going after the wrong client because yeah. it's in your best interest. It's in their best interest for you to tell them to go this, to this right. other place for 400 bucks. So why are you trying to, to package your services and sell it to somebody who yeah, doesn't downsize? Don't, don't go down into the, don't, don't try to compete in the bottom, you know, go after what you need, what, what is real for you, you know, and that just makes sense. You know, one of the things I hear Simon Sinek talk about, and I love this this example, um, is he talks about the blockbuster versus Netflix, right? Yep. Um, and if we look at um, if we look at what happened with Blockbuster, um, they saw Netflix coming. It's not like it was a surprise, right? Yeah. Netflix started with this mail-in DVD service where there was no such thing as late fees. You just held on to the DVD until you decided to mail it back, and you were paying this monthly fee for the right to have up to three DVDs at once. Um, on top of that, they also released this streaming, but the streaming at the beginning, I don't know if you remember when Netflix first came out, I was, you know, I was an early subscriber. I don't subscribe to Netflix today, but I was an early subscriber back then. I loved the DVD service. Mm -hmm. um, and then they started to stream these movies and it was kind of like this thing they tacked on that like nobody even realized the value of it. Um, but the Blockbuster CEO walks into the board of the, the board of directors into a meeting and he says, there's this company, Netflix, this is what they're doing. We should do, we should do something similar. It's yeah. genius. And the board of directors says, no, we're not doing that. Why? Do you know why? 13% of late fees, 13% of revenue was late. Is late. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we're not going to release something that's going to immediately eat up 13% of our revenue. And that limited thinking yep. is where Blockbuster is today, right? It, it's that one decision yeah. that they made that sealed their demise. And there's now only one Blockbuster store in Northern Canada, It's it, the company's gone, right? Netflix, look at the behemoth it is, right? Trading, you know, $500 a share, it's, it's up you know, hundredfold from what, from its IPO. It's got, it's got a, a, you know, it's the leader in, in, in uh, entertainment delivery to the home, right? Um, that is, you know, don't be the blockbuster of law, be the Netflix of law. You have yeah. to be future thinking. You have to look at where is the consumer going and how do they want their services delivered? They don't want their services delivered by needing to come into your office every time they need to meet. They don't want their services delivered by needing to pay you through their nose at hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour unnecessarily. That's not where the consumer is going. They're not even going to be getting referrals from family members anymore at some point, right? They're going to be going on Google and looking at your reviews. So focus on your Google yeah, reviews. They already are. To, you know. <laughs> yeah, they already are doing that. But the problem with, with, with law firms and lawyers is they don't, they don't care about the consumer. They think that, you know, just like the medical profession did, right? And they still want to think it, but they're being forced out of it, right? The medical profession is different because it got forced out. Of, it got forced into consumerism by healthcare, by you know, by by insurance, right? Insurance has forced them to become more consumer consumer facing and consumer driven, right? They have no choice. 
law firms have not had that, have never had that, right? It's always, we have a commodity, we have a, a professional service that you can't get anywhere else. So we're not going to commoditize it. And we're not going to come down to the consumer facing market. And we're not, we're just not going to do it. We don't have to. And, right. you know, hey, two thirds of Congress is lawyers, so they'll protect us. <laughs> That's right. kind of been the, it's kind of been the game forever. And I think it's just, it's, you know, it's archaic thinking. And I love, you know, I mean, I love, I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. So thank you for the, the blockbuster Netflix one. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the great examples that he gives in, I mean, all of his books are just phenomenal, but you know, the infinite game, the latest one is just, I, I just love the entire concept of it. Right. And I think, you know, law firms more than anybody play day to day. Yeah. They're not yeah. playing a long game at all. Yeah. Folks, if you haven't read the infinite game it you, it's a must read because in it, Simon basically explains why the rules are different in business because it's a game that never ends. You know, in a game, typically, no matter what you look at, football, there's four quarters, uh, you know, basketball, there's four periods, baseball, there's nine innings. Every game has a beginning and an end, and then there's a winner. And in business, it's a game, but the game doesn't end and there's no winner, right? There's no, it's, it's not like you're, you're competing against another competitor, and, um, it, you know, it's, it's a fabulous concept. And, and I love uh, what he did with, you know, with laying that out in the book. So I encourage everybody to go read it. We're going to link it up in the show notes so you can easily just click the button and go straight to the Amazon bookstore and order it or get it on Audible and stuff like that. Um, Mark, I want to go back to what, you know, give me a, 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 a use case example. So just without naming a client, just, sure. you know, think of one of your clients and say, okay, this is how we price our services. And this is the, what we do for them. And this is the kind of dedication that we have as far as, you know, our, our, I think the only overhead we can think of is the time involved. Right. So although I want to get away from the billable hour, I want to, I want to get the idea of how much work goes in to a client that's bringing in this kind of, this kind of, of revenue. Sure. I mean, if you took us, you know, uh, the range is big, right. In terms of, you know, the larger client versus a small client, but, you know, let's just use a, you know, sort of a, uh, a small client, you know, they could be, you know, a couple million dollars in business. Uh, My clients tend to be in the government contracting realm because that's where I came out of. So I have a a sort of a niche area in that, Uh, you know, the, the initial startup is the hard part is, is really where you're going to put in a lot more time, than the number than the number gives you right so it's a couple million dollars they might only be paying fifteen hundred dollars a month and i'm totally okay with that number right and most people look at me like you're out of your mind that you're providing legal services at fifteen hundred a month how are you possibly going to do that you're going to eat it up in a day and yeah the first month and second month i probably i probably crushed myself right in terms of if i were to divide 395 an hour into the 1500 i got annihilated but like you said there's no such thing as 395 an hour. It doesn't really exist. It's not a real number anyway. And I don't care if I make, I don't need, I don't need that. You know, it's, that's not what, that's not what my business is about. It's not about, you know, that kind of profit margin, even if I could make it. My business is about, you know, helping companies and making sure that I can pay my bills and live a nice life. So I look at it more from, you know, that first month, I'm going to be downloading all their corporate documents. If they, you know, this is a company that's already in existence, I'm going to look at all their financials. I'm going to look at their corporate documents. I'm going to look at their handbooks. If they have any, any policies, procedures, whatever they have, all their insurance. And I got to build a risk profile. And now I'm going to build out a plan, right? So the risk profile is going to give me, okay, they have no, their HR department has nothing, right? They don't have an HR department. Number one risk. 
you know, only behind maybe the fact that their insurance sucks. So, okay. Okay. And what I do is I build a network and I have a network of, you know, professionals all around me from that. I know work with small businesses, medium sized businesses, depending on size. And I will refer that in and I will bring in an expert and say, Hey, we need to fix the insurance here. Here's your, here's our current stuff. Go fix it. Give me a number. And I'll go back and forth and I'll play the, you know, GC is also a general contractor, right? So I'll play that role and bring in all the right people. And, you know, my clients even will say to me, because, you know, I know graphic designers and website that, and I'll be like, look, your website really is just, it's not up to par. You know, I'll do the privacy piece of it. And I can even help you write content because I write marketing speak, but you need somebody that's going to do this. Here's a person. Right. And that's a value. Those are all value add services that the clients are getting that are well beyond, you know, sort of the traditional legal model. So, you know, that 1500, yeah, first and second month, I probably got crushed on it, but I also have, you know, an associate and a, and another, and another marketing director that works for me and we'll split work up and we can each do things that, you know, isn't, you know, and yeah, in a, in a perfect world, I'd have even more support that I could use, like you were like you were saying before, you don't need just lawyers. You know, there's a lot of other talent around that you can leverage. And, and when we have, you know, discrete legal issues, we've used Upworks and brought in lawyers off Upworks, you know, to do some discrete legal research, you know, it's cheap. And, you know, there are lawyers sitting at home, right? It, you know, all they need is access to research. They can do the research. I don't you know. know I didn't that that lawyers are on Upwork. I know that uh, we had a um, uh, one of the sponsors of our 2019 Law Firm Growth Summit is LawClerk.legal. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with their site, but they they are specifically for lawyers, and it's it's contract attorneys that are out there looking for work. And sometimes it's it, you need somebody in a specific area of expertise, right? Um, and you, you know, I, I need to find somebody who's well versed in FDA law, or I need to find somebody who's well versed in you know, and, and, you know, and taking a company public and, and, and I go on there and I look for that specific um, skill set. And I, and, and I find somebody who's, who's the right person who can hit the ground running and do it efficiently and not have to have this entire learning process to figure it out and probably get it wrong um, along the way. Um, so it's, it, you know, bringing in these, these attorneys for the, on these project basis, and, mm-hmm. you know, things to, to either be, you know, handle the overload, uh, overflow of the work you can't handle or to handle the specific things that you're not an expert at right. um, is, is a genius way of doing it without needing to like, oh, I need to hire another full-time attorney. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I love that, uh, but I want to, I want to back it up and, and just break it down into numbers. Right. So um, one of the things that, that listeners might have a hard time understanding is the beauty of this model is that th- this, this builds your, your, your monthly revenue over time. Right. So it's not like, Oh, yep. the first month I'm going to have 40 clients of $1,500 a month, but what, wh- where do, if I'm, if I'm a solo with maybe some support staff, Right. Um, and I'm using solo as an example because it keeps the numbers the, um, easy to, to run, but you can run those numbers, just add to it if you add another attorney, right? Um, so let's say I'm a solo with some support staff. I want to bring home $250,000, right? Mm-hmm. So I need to be bringing in somewhere between four and 500000 to do that, right? So let's say, let's say I've got 400000 in revenue um, in, order to, in order to bring home that kind of pay. So right. if I'm looking at $1,500 clients, right? Yeah, you're, you can't do, um, you're, you're not going to do it all on 1500. You're right. 
you're right. There's going to be a gamut, right? There's going to yeah. be some are 1500, some are, but let's just use your 1500 as an example. Cause I want okay. to make a point, right? So we're at 400,000. I have a calculator in my hand, 400,000 yeah. divided by 12 is $33,000 a month divided by 1500. You need to have 22 clients. Yeah. Now the beauty, the beauty is, is that when I have 22 clients, then if that's where, where I want to be, I don't need to go and find more clients, right? Because they are paying me this every month. Right. Yeah. So my entire job is to, is to go and get 22 clients or, and, and if I add a client a month, 22 months later, I'm there. Yeah. If I had two clients a month in one year, I've got a fully booked $400,000 revenue practice for a solo attorney. And that's the part that's like mind blowing. Cause if you don't take it down into the numbers and look at it, yeah. now could you serve 22 clients by yourself with the right staff around with you the right support in this, staff, in this scenario? Yeah. Absolutely. And this, this front load thing of expenses on the upfront, by the way, um, and this might help you too. I don't know if you thought about okay. doing it. Um, in my accounting practice, we have a similar model. So in my accounting practice, we only do monthly. And we don't take on any, anybody, any one-off work. We just, sorry, no, thank you. We're not interested. Um, and we do, we take on clients where we are, we look at everything, their entire tax profile, um, you know, that we do their tax strategy, tax mm -hmm. planning uh, to make sure that they are making use of everything available to them to decrease their tax liability every year. Um, and what we do is when we bring a client on at the beginning, and then we do the same thing for bookkeeping services, when we bring a client on at the beginning, we have an onboarding fee. And that fee covers that initial work in the first okay. six yeah. weeks. So we, they, they're getting this. And, and for me, it's not, you know, typically not $1,500 a month. They're $500, $600 a month. They don't need, we don't need a lot of money to be able to do what we need to do with them because we're literally just meeting them once a quarter once they've implemented the plan, right? So at the beginning, there's probably hours of work to, to get to get their full profile, to understand where they're at, to teach them what the different strategies are and how they're going to implement it. But once they're going, it, now it's maintenance, right? It's not, mm -hmm. they're not needing to, to meet with us regularly. Sure, there's things that come up and, hey, I've got this deal going on. How do I structure it best? Um, but typically the most of the work is upfront. So all we do is we charge an onboarding fee. So we'll charge, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars upfront to cover that that fee. And then yeah, there's this monthly sense. thing afterwards. Um, and this way we're not, we don't feel like, you know, the biggest risk that, that we have is if we put all this work in up front and then they leave, you know, they, they, they decide they don't want to work with us anymore. Then we've yeah. done all this work. Yeah, they did a lot of work for, for very little. So this is, it's basically just risk management to yeah. put that, you know, put that up front and the clients are happy to pay it because they understand that that's the nature of what's happening. They understand that there's going to be a ton of upfront work that we're going to do and we're going to get them totally cleaned up. And then they've got this much smaller fee that they're paying over time to just maintain with us. Um, and, you know, so you can definitely wrap your head around it easier that way. And it can help somebody who's trying to transition to this model, because the first thing you're going to say is, well, how am I going to make my money in the first 10 right. months while I'm getting those first clients through the door? Because it's, it's not like it's going to happen overnight unless you already have a book of business that you can easily go and pitch this to them. And before you know it, you've got 20, 30. Yeah, 40, that's, it's, it's, it's still a, I mean, because it's, it's still not a, I mean, people get it, right? They get, they get the concept because you're seeing it in accounting. You're seeing it in, you know, other services. You know, there's fractional chief marketing officer, fractional chief of CFOs, fractional everythings, CIO, CSOs, right? Uh, so they're seeing the model. Uh, it's not being seen in law very often, 
So they're still having trouble grasping it. A traditional client is still saying, well, what am I really going to get? Are you really going to do all that for me for that kind right. of money? You know, cause it's, it's, you know, well, you're not going to, you know, they, they can do math, right? They're going to say to themselves, well, there's no way they're making the same amount of money you used to make. And I said, no, I, but I never made that. So it doesn't matter to me. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, and I think the other thing that, that is important for, you know, sort of solos and, and younger and firms that are looking to make the tradition, the transition is to understand, you know, what is when, when you're in those outer months, the reason why you're, it's, it's lower hours isn't because you're doing less work. It's because you know the client better. You're more integrated into their operations than you've ever been. You actually understand where their business is and where they're going because you've had, you know, I, I try to do standing meeting, standing calls with most of the clients so that I have, I get updates on to where things are and what are they doing. And that could have nothing, they, they may, there'd be no legal issues in that whatsoever, right? That call was specifically so I know that when they call me next month and say, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to this meeting, I know what that meeting is. And I can, I can then guide them and say, make sure when you go in, you think about X, Y, and Z, because I know exactly where they're at in the business and the pieces that they need. And, oh, hey, did you get an NDA? Let me throw that over to them right now before you go to that meeting, because we need to have that in place. And it yeah. just, it changes your entire way of, you know, so you go from, you know, when I use the backstop image, right? You're not even, you went from the backstop, you're not even sitting on the side, you're not even sitting on the bench, you're on the field now. Mm-hmm. And you're playing with the client. And it, that's where you need to be. And that's where you're going to effectuate change. It, you know, for me, it's, it, the value isn't just that I'm giving the client, it, it is that I'm giving the client value, but it, it's value to me because I, I enjoy it, right? I've actually helped somebody. And you know, most of us that went in the law, went into it with some aspect of a concept that we were going to help people. Like it's kind of why you went into it in the first place, but you know, we got really far away from it. Yeah. You remind me of, of an interview I did with Christopher Anderson. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, he uh, teamed up with profit first to create something called profit first for lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is that um, somebody like exactly in your position, who's working with clients with business clients, he highlights the same problem where Typically, the business lawyer, um, you're reactionary. You're yeah. waiting for your client to call and say, hey, I've got this problem. I need your help, rather than being in, in the game with them. And essentially, what he does is, is he pitches this idea of adding profit first as a practice area to your law firm, right. where that now gives you the, the, the ability to do a subscription-based model where you're financially bent, now you don't need a financial background. You bring in a profit first professional to do that. You're just the quarterback, right? You're just calling mm-hmm. the plays. You're coordinating all the resources to help them implement that. Um, and I'm not here to, to pitch profit first for lawyers or anything like that. Go back and listen to that interview. It was a very profound interview. And I think it's right along these lines. And, and that's why it's, you know, it, it, it's bringing that back to me because I, yeah. that was a great conversation where this is a problem. It's, you know, if you think that you're going to sit in your office and wait for the phone to ring from your your clients having an issue, you're playing the wrong game because you're supposed to be managing risk for them. You're supposed to be helping them avoid problems, not wait for the problems to come. And then you're, you're helping them figure out how to fix it. And I think your entire day is putting out fires, then you didn't do your job. 
Exactly. Exactly. So um, it, it's a beautiful model. I love it. I love it for so many reasons. It, you know, it allows you to completely change how the work is done. It allows you to completely change the, you know, what efforts you need to be putting in. So many attorneys are focused on constantly bringing in new clients. How do I find new clients? How do I, because you can have a thousand clients, but if none of them have an issue right now, you, you're not making any money. And this way, we just showed you how you can go for a very low fee when we're looking at the big picture of a couple, mm -hmm. you know, a couple million dollar company. It's, it's a drop in the bucket for them. It's an, it should be an easy decision. So it should be an easy sell. And for, for a low fee, you can have, you know, 20 clients per attorney. And, and I'm, I'm sticking with that $1,500 for a reason. Right. I'm sure Mark is charging a lot more than $1,500 a month for some of his clients. And you'll get those. But, and you can even focus on the larger clients and say, okay, I'm going to do 5,000 a month. And I only want, you know, I need 10 clients per attorney. Mm -hmm. But when you start to look at it that way, it completely changes the complexity of the business that you're in. You don't have to focus 90% of your efforts on marketing, which is where most law firm owners are focusing their efforts. You can focus 15% of your efforts on marketing and 85% of your efforts on serving your client. And now you're serving them in a totally different way. Your focus is different. You're able to provide a stellar experience for them. And that's why I love this model. Love it. Yeah. Um, and that's what we call think. disruptive lawyering. And that's yeah. It. I think the, big, the biggest issue and, and is people understanding how to navigate implementing this. I think yeah. that's the biggest challenge. Um, you know, and, and maybe the two of you, two of us should team up together to create a plan for, for, um, for lawyers on how to do that and, and, you know, and help take people through that journey. Um, but this is, you know, this, this has been a great conversation and, and eye opening for a lot of people, I'm sure that this is possible and, you know, and, and, and you can do it. Um, now, a lot of our listeners might be thinking, well, I don't serve businesses, so I'm not going to be able to find somebody who wants to pay me $1,500 a month. Um, and I think that that's a very good argument to make, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be a subscription service. You could, you could do flat fee, oh, uh, but, you, but I'm sure that in any practice area, you can come up with a price point that would work for your clients. That would be valuable to them to have you on call and have you managing it. Like, even if you're doing trust and estates, right? The typical bit of, bit, the typical model is I, I do your estate plan and that's it. And we're yeah. done. As if nothing in anybody's life is changing for the next <laughs> three years until they die, right? Right. The reality is, is their life changes constantly. And just like they're going to meet with their financial planner, at, you know, hopefully multiple times a year, right? they should be meeting with you multiple times a year. I'm not talking about a long meeting. I'm talking about a quick 15 minute check-in. Hey, how's it going? Did any of your kids have any children? Did you, you know, and just go through yeah. that stuff. And then you could, and, and what, what can you charge somebody for that? $50 a month. Great. Great. So now you've got a, another $600 a year per client. Now, obviously you need a higher volume to reach the kind of numbers we're talking about. But if you started adding $600 a year to your practice and you did that for a hundred, you know, a hundred people, that's $60,000. Yeah. It's real right? money. So, you, you know, you, you don't think that, oh, I, this has to be $1,500. It's not for me. This can work for anybody in any practice area. If you really put your thinking cap on and put your foot yourself in, in your client's shoes, what does my client need me for? And I'm not saying make up a service that they don't need, but think about what are the real needs and how can I best help them and make it economical that it, you know, that it makes sense for them wherever they are at. Right. And I think that's the, you know, the way that you have to think about this. 
Mark, this has been, this has been great. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. A lot of fun. Thank you. All right. So we're, we're just about out of time. If anybody wants to um, get in touch with you, uh, you know, reach out to you and, you know, maybe ask, ask for help if you're willing to give it, um, you know, do you want to give out some way for anybody to, to uh, connect with you? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn just as, you know, Mark Snuggerman, you can find me. I'm, I'm actually on LinkedIn a lot, so you can find me pretty easily. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my law firm is www.snydermanlawgroup.com. Uh, you can hit me at Mark at Snyderman Law Group. That's Mark with a C. Uh, and that's pretty much the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to ask you for one thing. Sure. Parting piece of advice for anybody who's listening to this. If you can think of one thing to share with them uh, that you think is going to impact them in some way, what would that be? Just be kind and think, think about everybody around you and what they're going through. Uh, whether you're, you know, no matter what you're doing, uh, and if you take that as to heart and you're just a kind person and you're going to be generous and give gratitude, it'll all come back to you. I love that. I love that. That's uh, beautiful and, 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 and unexpected because you usually <laughs> expecting to hear some, you know, piece of business advice. Um, but I, I really resonate with that. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, um, in, in my company here, we have our top five core values, which we review every single team meeting and our core value. Number one is love everyone. So, love um, that, that piece of, uh, of advice resonates very, very much with, with what we're all about here at, at profit with law, uh, folks, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, probably, you know, one of the best interviews you're ever going to hear, uh, you want to make sure you hit the subscribe button and, um, join us for the rest of our, of our shows. And there's, there's, you know, uh, almost a couple hundred episodes uh, in the hopper here for you to binge on uh, if you want to go back and, and, you know, and catch up. Uh, but there's, there's a ton of, of great interviews. Uh, just look at the subject lines and pick the ones that sound like they're the most interesting to you. You know, I, I backhandedly mentioned Google reviews. One of our top downloaded episodes is uh, one with Sam Malai, where he talks about how he got over a thousand five-star Google reviews. I believe he's crossing the 2000 mark now. Um, wow with, you know, with that, but it, it you know, it, it's things like that, where you just, you're able to get insight into what someone else is doing. That is, is this mind blowing situation where you suddenly get insight into something that's so simple that you can do that can completely change the way that you do business. And, uh, and this, that's why I think this episode is going to be one of our most popular ones, because understanding how simple this concept really is when you, when you boil it down, and, and how complicated we make it sound when we're like, oh, there's no way I could do subscription services, but it really simplifies how you operate. It makes your business so much easier. Why wouldn't you consider it? Um, and I'm gonna leave it at that. So if, please subscribe to the show, share this with an associate, uh, some, you know, a, a friend, somebody who's, who's in law that, you know, that could use, that, you know, that could benefit from it. Uh, because the more that you share it, the more listeners we get and the better uh, we, we have an impact with our messaging. And with that, I'm gonna sign off and we'll see you. Uh, we'll uh, be in your ears for the next episode. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of Profit With Law. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with at least one person. Imagine how many lives we can change if we each shared this episode. Another way to share the episode is on social media. We appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us again next week.